All right, gentlemen. Watch out for when that rush hour traffic. Those old people that have lost their pay. <laughs> Welcome to Mark Mamba and the Mayor Podcast, where old guys rule. Two former teammates are teaming up once again to bring past stories to life. Today on the show, we talk the history and the future of the All-Star Race. And then Mark and Jeff share their favorite young Kurt Busch stories from back when they were teammates at Roush Racing. We've got a great show for you today. Buckle up. I am Mamba Smith, of course, with my two, my guys, my, what, what's a good word? What is a good, what are we? What are we? A contrumplet? It's like a word <laughs> in there for this. We're a wolf pack. <laughs> We're the wolf pack. I got Mark Martin and Jeff Burton, the leaders of the wolf pack. I'm the young buck. I'm just hanging out. Um, guys. All-Star Race. All-Star Race weekend is always amazing. The the lights are at its brightest. We're racing for a million bucks. Mark, you've raced from 90 to 2013. You raced all in the All-Star Race. And Jeff, you ran from 94 to 2013. So you guys have seen it evolve. What is what is your take on that? We keep it keeps morphing into different things, but back when you started, it was one way and now it's completely different. Yeah, it really is. Um, it started changing from the very beginning. I mean, uh, uh, the very beginning of the race, they, they started evolving it. And, and uh, you know, it's been uh, different formats and different qualifying. But the one thing that's remained the same was it was a big paycheck. And there's no points. And that really makes the racing different. It lets you go into the thing, you know, and really go uh, all out. Which, you know, back in the day when you had uh, a cumulative point system, um, you had to watch your P's and Q's. Nowadays, you can, you can race pretty hard and, you know, win will get you into the, the championship. But you could never, you had to always manage your equipment uh, in the early days. And, and you could go to the all-star race and, and you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to worry about any of that. Just bring your biggest piece and baddest piece and, yeah, I remember the year, I think it was uh, probably about 93, 90, it was probably before 93. It was uh, the, the time that Daryl Waltrip was driving for Junior Johnson. And of course, Junior was kind of notorious for uh, bending the rules. And it looked very suspicious when Daryl crossed the line, his motor completely destroyed, went up in smoke right at the start finish line. And uh, it seemed like they had that planned. It probably wasn't planned. It was probably a coincidence because I don't, I'm not sure how you can make an engine blow up at the start finish line, but we said Barrel must have clutched that thing. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, that was the first all star race, too, right? So it got it off onto, <laughs> it got it off onto a right foot because, you know, to blow that thing up after the start finish line where they can't inspect it. Yeah, that looked a little suspicious. And uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm, I have a feeling that there were some extra RPMs added to that thing at some point <laughs> to get it gone. Um, Just a couple hundred. A couple thousand. To me, what's special about the All Star Race is that it is a marquee event. 
Meaning if you're a driver in this series, you want that to be one of the races that you have on your resume that you want. It's, it's a big deal. You know, when you start looking at people's careers, you know, people look at championships, they look at Daytona 500 wins, they look at Coke 600, Southern 500, all-star event wins. It's, it's kind of marquee events. And it, you always want to be able to step up to those moments to win those events that are historic. And um, I never won an all-star race. And so my perspective is, I feel like had I won an all-star race, uh, had I won a Daytona 500, I would be viewed differently. I wouldn't view myself differently, but I think people on the outside would view me differently as a driver because those marquee events matter. And it's a, it, there's a lot of conversation all the time about where it should be run, when it should be run, what should the format be. Regardless of all that, we need it. It's important for our sport to have it. And we can debate about where it should be and how it should be run. But I don't think there's anyone that doesn't believe that it's not a major part of what our sport should be about to celebrate the people that are constantly winning, that are successfully over and over and over and let them go at it. And like Mark said, to race for a million dollars. Our all-star event is so unique to other sports where other sports, it's like a weekend off. And this deal, man, it's not like you got to strap yourself in tight and you got to go get you some. And I like that part about it. And I, I hope we always keep it because it's a, it's a real important part of our sport. It's important to keep it. Yeah. You just hit on a couple of things there, Jeff. And Mark, you, you did Jeff just mentioned he never won one, but Jeff, you finished fourth as your best finish. So you were right there in the mix more of the times than not. Uh, Mark, you did win a couple of them. Just take me into that moment when you cross the finish line for a million bucks. <laughs> like everyone is great, but we're talking about a million dollar victory. What, what was that like? Well, let's back up uh, to 1998, uh, which was my first win. And that was $250,000, which was a lot of money back then. Uh, felt like a million bucks uh, today for sure. I, you know, Jeff Gordon was absolutely horse whipping us something pitiful. And I was running third and I was quicker than Bobby Labonte and working him and working him and working him. As we were coming off of turn four, I got under Bobby coming for the white. And so I'm, I'm in the process of completing that pass. And I noticed the 24 who's way up ahead of me pulls to the inside. And it's like, dude, I already messed up once before and quit before the race was over. I know this isn't, I know this, there's still a lap left in this race, and I couldn't believe it. Uh, and, you know, those wins that are surprises like that, that you didn't know that you were going to win, are usually, for me, have been my, my most fun ones. So that was an incredible win. They got a little bit uh, wise with their gasoline and didn't put enough gas in the 24 to make it all the way to the end. That was a shame because they had a speed, but. Um, that was a real exciting win. But then we did came, we came back in 2005 when it was paying a million dollars and got that. And that was, uh, that was, you know, it was nearing the end of my career and it was very gratifying. It was one of those days where uh, every move I made on the racetrack just happened to be the right move, which was a lot of luck involved in that. It just, every, every time I made a move, it was the right one and it, everything just clicked and we were, we went and took that thing, and it was really cool because I was nearing the end of my career, and uh, that was a nice uh, little re retirement, you know, nest egg send off. A little nest egg, just small seven figure nest egg. Yeah. <laughs> um, you talked about evolving 
Mark, all yours were run here at Charlotte. Where do you guys see it going? I, for one, I think the exhibition races, the clash, it moving around, I think that's great. I think the all-star race moving around is great. I, I personally would love to see it, you know, at like a short track, you know, at like a Greenville Pickens, at like a Hickory, because Texas is kind of far away, right? So you kind of lose that part of it and the the back-to-back where it goes all-star week, Coke 600, everyone's got two weeks of being around and being with the family and, and doing that stuff. I think you lose a little bit of that. Um, so I would love to see it go to a short track for that. And like the state, like the clash being like what it was a stadium race in the early part of the year. I, I, I want to hear your guys take, I think that'd be great. I love the clash, you know, out uh, in LA. I thought that was uh, uh, amazing. It was really cool to see. I'm kind of a traditionalist. I really like Charlotte, and I really feel like Charlotte is is the place to have the all-star race. But I'm also not opposed to having it on, you know, short track. And and I'm not opposed to moving it around. But, I, you know, deep down in my heart, I, I feel that Charlotte is is the place to have it where it's the home to almost everyone that, that touches those race cars. And, and, you know, and Charlotte's a great race track to race on. And, able to put on a great show uh, there. So it could be, you know, I could go either way. You know, I've said for years, Mamba, that that I think the All-Star event could be a link to the short tracks around the country like we used to have. When, when the Xfinity Series ran Orange County Speedway, Hickory Motor Speedway, South Boston Speedway, Louisville, all those little racetracks, it really, in my opinion, it helped connect NASCAR to those small racetracks in those small towns. I think we miss that. I think we have an opportunity with all-star race and I've been saying it for years and years that, you know, we should go to the historically great short tracks around the country because I think ultimately the racing would be really good. I think it would be a major impact to the economies of these little small towns that have supported racing for forever. Uh, We have some incredibly uh, historic racetracks that help build NASCAR and the racing would be great. The loser in that is, you know, the fans at Charlotte Motor Speedway, the fans at Texas Motor Speedway. That's a problem when you move something. You know, that's what happened in North Wilkesboro. When you took it from North Wilkesboro, you made a lot of people mad, right? And But this all-star event, in my opinion, should always change. It should be an ever-evolving. And when I say go to short tracks, I'm not saying that's, the, that's, that's just what you do from now until the end of time. I'm just saying that, it would be cool to have a three-year stretch where you said, okay, let's go to Hickory Motor Speedway. Let's go to South Boston Speedway. Let's go to, you know, pick three of the most historic racetracks and just do a three-year stretch and do something different. In those three years, it would be a different kind of short track. You would eliminate pit stops. You would eliminate all that stuff because you couldn't pit. Mark and I both did pits at short tracks and it doesn't work. It's very dangerous. (laughs) Um, it would bring some energy and some excitement and enthusiasm, but that I wouldn't do it forever. I would just do a little stretch of them and then look and see like, where are we as a sport? The excitement about me, the excitement this year going to Texas was the, the mile and a half race and had been our best racing this year. So I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. Like, let's go to Texas in a year where we've had great mile and a half racing. Let's go see it at Texas. You know, that flexibility of of saying, hey, we're going to look at this every two or three years to me makes a lot of sense, which we do anyway. I just would like to see it. I think it would be great for, I think it'd be great for local short track fans around the country. We saw how much enthusiasm the Coliseum brought. You know, you don't have to have, you can go to Hickory and have 10,000 people there. You don't need 100,000 people. 
And, and I just think it would be, the racing would be great. The connection to the past would be great. I just think it would, be, it would work for a period of years. And then that would get old and then change it and do something else. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you, you could have, you could do it. You could have a late model, a local show, a part of it, and really make that connection to the fans. And then, you know, really dive back into the history of that track and really teach the new fans what that place was, whether it be in Hickory, like you guys talk about doing pit stops there. I, I can't imagine that was very fun for you guys to try and pull down pit road at Hickory. Live pit stops, man. Live pit stops yeah. on the front straightaway at all those racetracks. And, and you didn't have a pit stall. You just got where you got. And, and you just hope somebody else wasn't in that same spot. It was nuts. That couldn't happen today. We're smarter than that. We don't, we don't, we don't have to have pit stops. But, you know, listen, the talk has been all about Nashville right? And Marcus and his team are working hard to bring Nashville back. Huge plans been introduced to try to get Nashville. You know, I think Marcus and his team, Marcus Smith and his team should be the ones to promote the all-star race. They've done it from day one. We need to continue to do that, but maybe we're on the cusp of seeing Nashville. That in and of itself, I mean, think about that, Mark. I mean, think about, oh. you know, we used to race cup oh. races there and oh, it wasn't man. that long ago. And that track is, uh, and don't pave the damn thing. No, like don't pay the track. Keep it nasty. Like keep it grimy and nasty. Clean up the facility, but don't repave that track. I think something like that, I think is, has great promise. And there's been talk about that. So we're on the cusp of maybe seeing that. Mark, I just saw you go down memory lane there for a minute when you brought up Nashville. What, what were you thinking about? Well, I had thought of Nashville before Jeff mentioned it. I thought that would be really appropriate because of the history there. It's a, an incredible uh, racetrack. It would be, it'd be insane to have it there. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Of course, my memories go back to 1981. Uh, my second start, uh, NASCAR start, was was there in 1981. Yeah, it's it, it it put on a great show if we could have it there. So I got a funny memory from Nashville. My wife turned 21 when we were in, we were at Nashville racing Xfinity race. She turned 21. We had a big party the night before the race, and that was the end of me doing anything but sleeping the night before the race. It was a bunch of drivers and like we had a big time and I'm telling you it was hot as hell the next day and I had a hangover and never ever 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 again did I drink anywhere near a race I thought I was gonna die that day well I've got a story for you too it was always hot there in the summertime when they raced and in 1981 uh, I went there and sat on the pole and uh, on Friday night and on Saturday, they, they had, uh, you know, some practice before the race Saturday night, 420 laps. And I went out and I ran just like my late model. I went out and I made four laps, three or four laps. And they were three tenths faster than anybody there. And that, and I put it on jack stands. We're ready to go. And so I thought, well, I, I was walking stiff-legged. I really thought I was something. Uh, so I'm strapped in the car, getting ready to start the race. And Dale Inman comes by and he puts his elbows on, on the, the window seal and looks down on the floorboard and looks at me and said, you got a hole in that floorboard? And I said, no, why? And he said, because you're going to melt and run out of it tonight. And I thought to myself, I'm going to show you. Man, I got a picture of me on a pit stop. at the first, It went green all the way, 140 laps for the first stop. I come in under the green and I look like Rudolph nose. My face is glowing. <laughs> and I am already lapped and I'm done. I'm cooked. 
you gotta give it to the you gotta give it to the old guys, right? I mean, you guys know what's going on. Well, he knew. He knew what was coming. I didn't. I love it, it. it gets hot there, man. Like those are summer races. Whew, Mamba, we've been there racing Arca cars, right? Like, yes. and it's just a cool facility. And but when it's hot there, whew, hold on, it's really hot. Mark, so over the weekend, uh, they were during the Xfinity race. Um, they were talking about Josh Berry. And Josh Berry's crew chief is Mike Bumgarner. And Mike, um, used to, you guys used to work together. He used to work with you. I, I want you to hear what this little clip from Jamie Little was, and I want to get your reaction from it. You know, we talk about Josh Berry so much, and everybody just assumes, well, he's a veteran racer. He never raced in ARCA, never raced in the truck series. He comes to these tracks. He's still learning. This is just his second time ever to Texas. And I talked to his crew chief, Mike Bumgarner, on the right there this morning. He used to work with Mark Martin back in the day. He said, Josh Berry reminds me so much of Mark Martin. He just gets it. He's a racer's racer, knows how to work on these cars, and knows what it takes to figure it out. It's, he continues to lead here. The car is good mark you we've talked about it before when brett moffett drove the o2 and it was your scheme and how much that meant to you what does that mean to you still getting compared and guys looking up to you even now well it's really cool to see bum garner you know on the box um gosh we go back uh to the stone age it seems like you know he's been around the racetrack i've been around the racetrack since we were kids you know young Teenagers, just about. So it's very humbling, and I don't know what else to say. But you know, I'm I'm humbled. It means a lot coming from people that you have so much respect for that have been in the business for so long. It just uh, very humbling. Jeff Jeff Racers Racer, can you describe that term for us? Yeah, so it can mean a lot of things. You know, the Josh. The thing about Josh, why he and Mark are so alike, is that you know Josh has a you know, when he wins all his races and late models, uh, he's as much the crew chief as he is just a driver. And, you know, a guy that doesn't care, doesn't look at the clock, doesn't care what else is going on in his life. He's going to be at the race shop. He's going to do whatever it takes to get that race car like it needs to be. And then when he drives it, he knows how to drive it. He knows what to do with it, when to do it, and is willing to sacrifice everything to be a racer. That's what a racer's racer is. Now, that term is evolving because the cars at the Cup Series are to so technical now that if the driver is the smartest guy on the team, you're in trouble. Like, you're in <laughs> major trouble. Uh, there was times in Mark's career, in Rusty Wallace's career, in Bobby Allison's career, uh, and many others where they were the smartest person on the team when it came to that race car. And not only that, they could drive it. And that's an incredible thing that it is a thing of the past. I mean, it really is just because with so many tools and so much, you can't, there's no way a driver can immerse himself into everything that he would have to mm -hmm. be immersed in to be that guy. It still happens on short tracks and it still happens all around the country every day where a guy right now is working a job and he can't wait to get off that job because he's going to go to his race shop tonight and he's going to work no matter how long it takes. He's going to work tonight to get his race car ready to race this coming weekend. He's probably not going to get home before his wife goes to sleep. He's probably going to eat some crappy food in between doing something to his car, and he's happy as hell doing it. That's happening all over the country right now. You know, that's the racer that Mark was. That's the racer I tried to beat. People that really want it. And what are you willing to give up? Everybody wants it. Everybody wants to win races. 
Everybody wants to be in victory lane. Everybody wants that part of it. When the camera's off, when nobody's looking, what are you willing to do? That's why Mark has so much respect, not just what he did on the racetrack, but what he did off the racetrack. That's why when, when he walks to the garage, people are like, damn, that's Mark Martin. It wasn't in, now I'm talking about internally. I'm not talking about fans. I'm talking about people in the sport, like Mike Baumgartner. He knows what Mark Martin did. He knows what that pathway was to get to the cup level and what he did when he got to cup. The greatest compliment you can get is respect from your peers. Yep. There's not because they know. And, and to be a racer's racer or to be called a racer, that's the ultimate compliment in our community. You hear that term a good amount. And when you, when you hear it and you don't know the person, you really start looking at what they're doing because you're like, oh, okay, there's that much respect. To, to that person. So I think it's seeing what our, my generation of guys are doing and how they're comparing themselves and how they still look back. You said, Bobby Allison, you know, I've talked to Ryan uh, Blaney a bunch about like guys that we love racing with. And, and he's a, he's a historian too. You know I mean? He loves talking about those old guys. And speaking of Mark, I know we talked about speaking Bob. of old guy. You said speaking, yeah, speaking of, of old guys. Speaking Mark. of speaking of old guys, Mark Bobby Allison. Cool. Well, you didn't let me finish. Bobby Allison, he won with seven different manufacturers, thirteen different owners, twenty-seven racetracks, and twenty seasons in eleven car numbers. Now we're used to not seeing that. Uh, I know you've driven a bunch of different cars and been for a bunch of different teams. We have a guy named Kurt Busch that is kind of doing the same thing in the modern era now. Well, yeah, you know, the, the fact is that, that what Kurt Busch has accomplished is incredible. And he's one of the most talented race car drivers I've ever seen on a racetrack. Un absolutely unbelievable. And to win for five different owners, fairly unprecedented. However, I did want to bring up the fact that Bobby Allison was the guy who, you know, he, he claimed when he got in, in, inducted into the Hall of Fame, he never could keep a job. Uh, I'm not sure that was exactly right, but Bobby did things his own way. And as uh, Jeff alluded to, Bobby built his own race cars for years. Bobby and Donnie built race cars for years and years and years, built chassis, um, worked on those cars and raced every every time that he could get to a racetrack. He'd race every night of the week and, and do whatever. So Bobby Allison was a true racer. It, what, what Kurt has done really sets the industry on their ear right now as of today. But uh, back in the day, Bobby was the man that really did it. Jeff, uh, so Kurt has four different manufacturers, five different teams, 18 different tracks, 19 different seasons that obviously it changed a little bit when we go to somewhere new and, and stuff like that. Also like his journey, talk about a journeyman and not just throughout the garage, but you know, his career personally has been really interesting and impressive. What was young Kurt like? A pain in the ass. <laughs> look at Mark, look at Mark. Mark's like, really? <laughs> I mean, listen, Mark and I were there when Kurt was a rookie. And they, I don't remember the testing rules, but they tested a lot. And a lot. Wrecked every damn time. Like it was nuts. And Kurt would sell that thing down in the corner and, you know, in a test and wreck and get out and say, y'all got to make it where I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is, yeah. This is this and, and, and yeah, like he wasn't going to change. Like he was like, that's what I need to be able to do. And you got to make the car where it can do that. 
Yeah. You know, Mark and I would be like, oh, sh- damn, man, we drove in a corner too hard or we did this. Kurt's like, nope. Was, Y'all got to fix that fault. race car. Yeah, yep. it was the car's fault. <laughs> and uh, I got to tell you, man, uh, you know, Kurt came in and, and uh, boy, he was a, he was definitely green and he was a kid and, and uh, Jeff was, Jeff was established. He'd come in and built his whole, whole program. I mean, Jeff was the mastermind behind the entire 99 program. And uh, Kurt comes in, slips into a seat and wrecks a car every week and uh, doesn't treat, you know, Jeff with very much respect. That was uh, oil and water. Those two were, I, uh, I, I managed to stay out of the, the conflict, but Jeff was, uh, Kurt kept Jeff stirred up quite a bit. He did. And it, it's so funny today. I, I talked to Kurt probably once a week, at least once a week. And, uh, he and I worked together on with the driver's council. He's on the board of directors in the driver's council. And he is awesome. Like he is absolutely incredible to work with. He's got great ideas, just so good to work with. He, when he came in, in fairness to him, he really, although different than I did it, he came in recognizing that he was going to be selfish and he was going to make it about him. Looking back on it, I would have been better served to do some of that myself. You know, I would have been better served to be a little more selfish. And when I say selfish, I'm, I'm, that's not a derogatory word when it comes to competition. It is in everyday life, but in competition, it's not. He just was going to get him some for him. And he was going to prove to the world, he came with a chip on his shoulders, and he was going to prove the world he could do it. And he was fast. I mean, he was exceptionally fast. And I remember, hey, Mark, I remember a day where, you know, Mark and I would, I'd go get Mark and, hey, man, drive my car. I drove Mark's car a few times. And we were like struggling or looking for that little bit extra. And we couldn't figure it out. I would, hey, man, like, help me out here. I remember Mark telling me, I ain't putting that guy in my car. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm not that worried that you're going to go faster than me, but I ain't putting that guy in my car because, you know, he was fast and still is fast. And what I, the the thing about Kurt that I have so much respect for is that he has been willing to look at himself and say, okay, how can I be better? And he's gone from being that guy that was about selfish, selfish Kurt to now taking tons of pride in saying, I'm going to help this team. I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to help Bubba Wallace. I'm going to help Chip Ganassi racing. I'm going to be that guy that helps get them where they need to be. And that's a major change for a person to go through that. And, and when Denny Hamlin hired him, that was a stroke of genius because you took a young driver in Bubba Wallace that's still trying to figure out how do I do this, who never had a teammate. And you put him with a guy that we know can win races and that wants to be a great teammate. It was a great move. And then also, Denny could look at his team and say, hey, if you're not running up front with that guy driving, don't talk to me about the driver. Don't give me the, well, he does this, he does that. No, I don't want to hear it. When you hired, when, when Hendrick hired Mark Martin, he could look at Alan Gustafson and say, well, you didn't win, it ain't the driver. And teams need that. Teams need a guy, at least a guy, where they can say, I know that guy can win. Think about Stuart Haas racing right now. If they didn't have Kevin Harvick, everybody would be over there saying, what's all the cars? Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's all the drivers. It's all the drivers. Because you have Kevin Harvick, you got to keep working on your cars. you got to find a way to get your cars better. And that's a major change in working on the driver to try to make him better versus working on the car. And Kurt Busch makes 
2311 work on those race cars. It's easy when you're new or you're a younger driver and the team has been established before to kind of be like, okay, what's changed? Oh, that's it. It's hard to look at yourself all the time. Like you got to keep going as a group. Like the group has to keep going together. What's one, um, what's one thing that, that we should know about Kurt Busch that people probably wouldn't know. I, when I, my time around him, I am surprised. He's very cerebral to me. He's very, a very intelligent and articulate individual from the kid that I watched as a kid being a hothead, it, it threw me off. So that was something that was pretty uh, unique and interesting Kurt Busch uh, part for me. I don't know. You know, Kurt's always been smart, a smart guy. He's just, Kurt had a lot of problems, you know, controlling his emotions. Um, you know, he regularly beat the de- the gauges out of the dashes of Roush cars and, and stuff. And, you know, you watched him come through uh, even uh, James Finch. He made James Finch's cars dang near won races. He almost won races in James Finch's cars. Multiple, yeah. Uh, yeah, but over a period of time, uh, he's really gained even more respect from me because he's managed to learn from it and adapt just like Jeff said he can adapt to the situations and uh, I'm not saying it didn't take a while but he has really you know been able to to change a lot it, it reminds me a little bit of of in, in a different way but Ernie Irvin when Ernie came into NASCAR he was wide open, uh, but he was bouncing off of pretty much everything, and everybody was pretty much sick of it. We didn't back then. We didn't put up in the early '90s. We didn't put up with people wrecking and causing us to get in. I mean, we just we didn't put up with wrecks. And Ernie, he was causing a bunch of them. And the thing that I loved with all my heart about Ernie was is that after a while, he looked around and said, "This isn't working for me." And he changed his driving personality. And that's hard to do. You know, I think when I have a lot of respect for, for Ernie, for changes he was able to make in his style. And, and of course, I respect uh, Kurt for, you know, his evolution as well. What about you, Jeff? What's, what's one thing that people might not know about Kurt Busch that, that they should? Well, number one, he's ext- like, this sounds like a silly thing, but when you, when you have the schedule, like, drivers have and all the things going on in your life like everybody has in their normal life but on top of that you're asked to perform at this super high level it's really important to be able to be organized and have a plan and execute on that plan and the more I'm around Kurt the more I realize that he doesn't do anything without a plan he's got an idea he's thought about it he spent time thinking about it which I think is completely different than where he was 25 years ago is that he really thinks this thing, thinks it through before he says something. He thinks it through before he acts. And there's a reason he's doing what he's doing. He's very organized, understands, you know, going to the racetrack. He's got a game plan. He's got in his head what, what the weekend's going to look like, uh, what he needs to do during the week to be the best prepared for that weekend, and then shuffle everything around in, in his life. And that sounds silly, but until you live this life and understand how it's all consuming, the people that are able to compartmentalize. You think about Kurt and Kyle too. They both have had moments in their life where there's these things swirling, right? Like there's a lot of noise and they may have created the noise, but it's a ton of noise and a ton of stuff going on. They put that helmet on, it all goes away. They can perform with a lot of chaos around them. It doesn't affect the way they drive a race car. 
Now, it might affect their emotions when something doesn't go well, but when they're driving that race car, it's all business. Both of those Bush brothers can do that. They can put everything aside and go drive that race car. And that's, you know, when you hear Kurt or, or, or really Kyle expressing himself on the radio, people think, well, he's distracted. He's whatever. He's not, he's letting it go. And He's 100% focused on driving that race car, and Kurt's the same way. And both of those guys, I've always marveled because I couldn't do that. When I had negative things going on around me, uh, major changes in, in life, major changes, you know, gotten a scuff up the week before, it, it was a distraction to me. Kurt doesn't let it become a distraction. He gets in that race car, he just goes to work. Kurt Busch is 43 years old, driving the 45 for 2311. Hopefully he's going to be around for a while still. I love having Kerr around. I think it's he's a very important piece to, to NASCAR and, and to the driver council and the community as a whole because he's just a different type of guy. We are about to hit our special question, the out of the groove question, where I get to ask you guys something a little bit off the wall. If you weren't a driver, what role would you pick in the sport? Or, and or, if you weren't a driver, what would you want to do in general? Like, so kind of a two-part, because if you, some people, if they weren't a driver, they wouldn't be here because they wouldn't want to be here. I know that that's not you guys. I'm very interested to see where you'd like to be if you want a driver. Oh, I would, that would definitely be a crew chief for me. You know, I, I loved the cars um, and learning about the cars and making the cars better, you know, and, and I love driving the cars and winning, winning races, but I think that it would be very fulfilling for me to be able to work on the cars and not have the pressure of making it work on the racetrack. And Jeff knows this, you know, firsthand. He was a teammate of mine, and I did a lot of things different. I mean, I, I went out on a limb, you know, snout-wise, front-end geometry-wise, body-wise. There were things, and and they weren't always approved of by my teammates or some of the others. And I had to make these decisions that I made work. So in some ways, it would have been less pressure and more fun to experiment with these race cars uh, especially back in the day, you know, if I didn't have to also have it strapped on my back to make it happen on the racetrack as well. Yeah. I, I'm similar to that. I would have, I was, uh, I loved the car design car build that side of it. I, I enjoyed that. You know, I worked for Jay Hedgecock for a while building race cars. You know, I had a role at the, at, at Roush in the chassis department there, uh, that part of it, I really enjoyed. And that would have, if, if I wouldn't have been able to make a move into the cup series, I would have tried to start my own company building race cars. That would have been the direction I went in. Post that, and after being in the, the series, I'm one of those people that's just lucky as hell in life. I'm doing exactly what I want to do, not driving. I'm <laughs> 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 I, 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 I like doing TV. I enjoy it. It's fun. I'm not driving anymore. Post-career, if I could have picked it and said, yeah, I'd like to go TV, that's what I would be doing. I'm lucky as hell to be able to have had a career driving and then extend my career doing something I like to do. Like I've never had a job in my life because I've always liked what I do. Very, very, very fortunate. Uh, this question doesn't apply to me, but I'm going to echo what you just said, Jeff, because for me, I, I get to race here and there. Love it. Absolutely love racing. That's why I moved to North Carolina. But just being able to be in the sport, you know, help, help it move 
hopefully in a positive way. That's that's it. You know, that's that's what I love. I now I would love to see you guys go over the wall. Maybe Mark tire changer. Jeff, you want to carry for Mark? Do you think that'd be all right? Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> man i'm telling you those guns the new guns i'm telling you what i don't think i don't think i'd like to do that i did the old deal before but that one lug nut deal i'm i'm okay with that well everybody thank you to this amazing podcast the trio the wolf pack mark mamba and the mayor we will be back and we can't wait to have you next time